Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special on Iron Man. Uh, now remember, the spoiler special is the feature where we reveal, or at least we don't try not to reveal, the secrets of a movie. So please don't listen if you want to be surprised by every twist and turn of Iron Man. So I'm here with John Swansburg, a culture editor at Slate. Hi, John. Uh, hi, great to be here, as always. And um, yeah, we just uh, staggered out of a long, loud, um, and pretty enjoyable viewing of Iron Man last night, but with a lot to talk about and a lot of reservations about the movie. So let's let's start with a really quick story outline kind of set up for those who don't know the comic book really well already, as we don't. As we don't, right. Can I, can I punt it over to you for the uh, beginning sure. of the Sure, let me, let me see what I can do. So Tony Stark, uh, who's played by Robert Downey Jr., is, uh, is the protagonist, the hero. Um, and when we first meet him, he's not a superhero. He's just a, a, a sort of magnate. He's, a, he's the head of Tony Stark Industries, uh, and he's sort of a billionaire playboy. And Tony Stark Industries uh, is a weapons manufacturer. And he is in uh, Afghanistan uh, to show off the latest weapon of mass destruction that Tony Stark Industries has come up with, and it's called the Jericho. And it, I'm not really sure exactly what it is. It's some kind of missile that then turns into, when, when fired, turns into lots of little mini missiles, and it's like basically looks like some kind of bunker buster. Fireworks. It's like yeah. a Roman candle. <laughs> right, but it seems like it could really take out like an entire mountain in like the Afghanistan sort of uh, Tora Bora region. And he shows that off, then he gets into a Humvee to go to sort of his next uh, press conference or whatever, and he's ambushed, and uh, he's taken prisoner, taken captive by this group of warlord terrorist types. We're not really sure exactly. They're, they seem to be kind of vaguely Taliban-y. And they stick him in a cave and they task him with, with the job of building a Jericho out of other Tony Stark industry weapons that they've stockpiled. So apparently they, they've got this massive stockpile of Tony Stark industry weapons, but uh, they really feel like they need the Jericho to complete their set. And they think that if they lock him in a cave for a couple of weeks, he can build a Jericho for them. And they give him a, a sidekick named uh, Jensen, I believe, who's this sort of mild-mannered guy who's kind of good with a uh, soldering iron and seems like a good guy. And... and we should add that Jensen, the sidekick, also saves Tony's life before right. before he builds the weapon by, by installing this strange sort of reverse magnet in the center of his chest that right. apparently repels the shrapnel inside his body and keeps it from getting to his heart. And That's a good him. point, yeah. Uh, so Tony... in a way, he makes it the first step toward making him into the Iron Man. That's right. Tony Stark is injured in the ambush uh, severely by, and apparently by a one of his own sort of cluster bombs in a, in a nice little irony. So anyway, uh, they decide to not build the, the Jericho for for the bad guys. Instead, uh, Tony Stark gets to work on a prototype for his Iron Man costume, which he sort of builds out of available materials. And uh, to keep things short, he basically blazes his way out of there uh, using this Iron Man suit and makes his way back to Malibu, which is, I guess, where Sidekick dies, by the sidekick way. Sidekick does not make it. Yeah, expendable sidekick does not make it, sadly. But he makes it his way back, and he, he comes back a changed man. Before, he was sort of uh, a blithe spirit, didn't really care that his company made uh, all these weapons that were presumably used to kill people. He comes back a peacenik of sorts and uh, announces to uh, the world that, that Stark Industries is no longer going to make weapons. It's going to do good. It's not really clear what kind of good it's going to do, which uh, shocks the world and, and particularly upsets... Uh, Obadiah Stane, who is the uh, sort of number two guy at, at Stark Industries. Played by Jeff Bridges. Played by Jeff Bridges. And uh, Obadiah turns out to be the bad guy. Um, if the name Stane didn't you <laughs> up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he turns out to be, uh, to be the, the nemesis of Tony Stark. Do you want to you pick it up from there? I mean, I guess that, that's, that's pretty much a good setup. And from, from there, the conflict becomes Tony Stark, ex-weapons manufacturer, ex-amoral industrialist billionaire, has now become do-gooder billionaire. 
So then it just becomes a battle between the wills of, of Obadiah Stane, who wants him to keep making weapons, and Tony Stark, who finally decides, you know what, I'm going to rebuild this Iron Man suit. I'm going to make it bigger and better than it was. Right. And I'm just going to go around the world renegade style by myself and destroy my own weapons when they fall into the wrong hands. So right. he sort of becomes one man reverser of his own, you know, the, the destruction that he himself has wrought. Right. So he builds a suit that, that basically allows him to fly. Uh, it fires weapons. It's pretty much uh, not... I think it's impermeable to, uh, to all manner of conventional, you know, bullet kind of weapon. So it makes him pretty much invincible. And well, here's where we could note that he's actually, this is what makes him a different kind of hero and kind of a fun hero. And this is one of the things I like about the movie is that he's literally a self-made man, right? There's not, there's no super, supernatural phenomenon that turned him into a superhero. He's not right. bitten by a spider. He didn't fall from another planet. Um, he does have this thing in his heart that sort of, you know, that repels shrapnel. But I don't think the idea is that, you know, that... That's any part of him becoming the Iron Man. No, He's basically indeed. just a really smart man who built himself a great suit. Right, and indeed, the, the, even that central heart thing that keeps that keeps him alive is is a something that he designed and that he perfected to and, and makes work. So it's you know he does sort of save himself with those technology, even though I guess Jensen came up with the prototype. Uh, it was perfected by Tony Stark, so he sort of survives by his own uh, his own pluck. Well, so let's let's briefly um, just to be to be nice. Let's talk about what's good about the movie. I think what's not so good about it is a lot more interesting. But I mean, quickly, what would you say? I, I like the, the freshness of him being this this different kind of hero, the super technology guy, as opposed to you know the Superman. Robert Downey Jr. always interesting to watch. And yeah, charming. he's he's great. I, I was totally charmed by him. Uh, he's very fun uh, as the playboy Tony Stark. You know, we get. Uh, flashback of what he was like before he sort of had his uh, peacenik uh, trans transformation, and uh, you know he plays the sort of louche Tony Stark in a very fun way, as you might imagine. But he's also he doesn't become a dullard after he he transforms. He still has great rapport both with uh, Obadiah and with um, members of the press, uh, with uh, Pepper Potts, who's his uh, assistant, played uh, by Gwyneth Paltrow, and even with his robots. I mean, he has these sort of robot assistants who help him build his suit and, and outfit him in the suit, and he has like a he's a kind of a very funny repartee with this robotic arm that is essentially just a, a fire extinguisher with a brain kind of a, uh, and I've, you know his ability to even interact with those inanimate objects and make it kind of funny and watchable is is you know to be praised I think yeah basically the non action scenes of the movie have I feel like it's a good superhero movie with a little bit of added value you right, know classy right. performances some witty lines the script actually is by the script writing team that wrote Children of Men amazingly one oh, of my favorite that. movies of a couple years ago and a completely different kind of movie I mean right. a very dystopic drama a futuristic dystopia that. It's really sad and really smart, and so they bring they bring something to, to the script. I mean, I wouldn't say it's perfect, but it's kind of fun. I but, think it's, a, it's a cut above. But let's get to to our big problem with this movie, which I feel like is just at odds with everything that we were just talking about, all the sort of wit and fun. I mean, I kept trying the whole time to have a rollicking summer romp kind of feeling about the movie, but I kept getting bogged down and depressed by the way it tries to bring politics in. And can, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, I mean, I think it, it starts right away. I was shocked uh, not knowing coming into the film that it was going to do this, that I was situated in Afghanistan right off the bat. I didn't I didn't realize that it was going to try to grapple with a, a, at least a, a place in the world where America is actually currently engaged uh, in a war. At first, I thought that was kind of interesting that you set this superhero movie in the context of what feels like the present day. It feels, it feels like the contemporary uh, moment. And you set it in a place where America is really grappling with its presence and is fighting, is fighting uh, a war. But as it turns out, these, the enemy that, that he ends up being ambushed by is not really, even though they sort of look like the Taliban, they're nothing like the Taliban. They're something called the Ten Rings. Uh, and the, the head of the Ten Rings is this bald guy who has, you know, seemed to be 
uh, cast because he's really good at glowering. And, uh, you know, at one point, you know, at first you think he's a terrorist and, and, and might be kind of this interesting uh, comparison to what goes on, what's going on in the real world. But in fact, he's just this Genghis Khan wannabe. And, uh, you know, he, Who says he has, at a certain point, literally, with a dozen of these suits, I could conquer all of Asia. Exactly. So he's like bent on Asian uh, dominance, which is sort of this hilarious uh, moment in the movie. And it's like a strange throwback to Cold War or Charlie right. Chan movies or right. something. Right. It's not, it's not any kind of comment on uh, fighting a sort of a war of imbalance or uh, or fighting a, t- a terrorist organization. And again, not that a superhero movie has to do that, but like you said, it doesn't. The movie isn't content to be a popcorn movie. It does keep trying to to make these comments about the trade off between you know being as powerful as as the U.S. is and making you know being a, a weapons manufacturer that can that can make weapons that can do make this sort of utter destruction and the sort of burden that comes with that power. But it just it never really does anything with that with that question. It doesn't really wrestle with it. Well, it, it kind of posits an allegory that doesn't hold up at all, right? Because this what happens between Tony Stark and, and these would-be Asian, I don't know what you'd even call them, dictators of right. all Asia, has nothing in common with that, what's actually happening in Afghanistan or Iraq or, or anywhere that the U.S. is engaged. So I guess the way the movie drops the raises these questions and then drops the ball on them seemed quite sad to me. Right, and you made an observation that I think was spot on about about the scene where we, we do get one scene where, where Tony Stark sort of lands in Ten Rings territory uh, where the Ten Rings uh, hoodlums are rounding up innocent civilians in, in preparation to kill them, presumably, and Tony Stark shows up uh, to save the day. And the way he saves the day is sort of utterly absurd. Well, it's actually it's quite an effective visual gag. It's only morally <laughs> that right. I found it offensive. But he has his suit is equipped, among all the other goodies it has, with this very Terminator style, really reminds me of the visuals in the Terminator mask that you look through and you get all the uh, the stats on what you're looking at, right? You can make measurements of things and sort of make targets and right. just very precisely, you know, map everything that you're seeing. So he looks at this sort of huddled group of random Afghani villagers before him and his mask tells him, labels them civilian, civilian, terrorist, or the word terrorist never appears, I don't right. think, but it's essentially civilian and then it basically combatant splits or something. The, yeah, it, it isolates the, the terrorist baddies from the, from the civilian goodies. Within and- his field of vision and then he just selectively shoots the, all the non-civilians. They drop dead, and there's the you know the granny and the nice little boy, and everyone's still standing in the frame, and the audience cheered. Right. No, it is. It's sort of a wonderful visual gag, and it's a great st- fantasy about you know how weaponry might be able to work that we could perfectly separate the good guys from the bad guys and have no collateral damage. But the vast gulf between that moment and what our country is actually living right now, I just it just brought me down. Exactly. It's, it, it's and, the, a, and the movie's refusal to acknowledge that vast gulf. I guess. Right. Right. It's a, it's a wonderful visual gag until you think about it, and if you once you start thinking about it, you realize it's actually, this is quite the opposite of, of what happens on a daily basis in Iraq and Afghanistan, and it's, it's sort of, it just bums you out more than anything else. It's, it just seemed like the movie, the whole movie, was was a fantasy about what war should be and could be, right. which I guess would be a lot more jolly of a summer romp if we weren't <laughs> engaged in a couple wars that are pretty much going just the opposite way right, right now. Right, exactly. All right, on that, on that cheery <laughs> note, my friend, let's wrap up this spoiler special. Thanks a lot for joining me for the movie. Uh, my pleasure. Anytime. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.